Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, the UFC had quite the mix-up this weekend. They were supposed to have TJ Dillashaw versus Corey Sanhagen. They were supposed to be Cowboy Cerrone versus Diego Sanchez. It all fell apart. But there's still a pretty darn good card this weekend. UFC Vegas 26, Marina Rodriguez versus Michelle Waterson at Flyweight. We're going to be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on the main card. as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays where we'll also give you our favorite underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat. Plus, in addition to that, as always, I'm bringing you guys the interviews you've come to know and love. First, I'll be talking to Christian Aguilera as he gets ready for his bout this upcoming weekend. And fighting the following weekend is Christos Iagos, who I'm going to talk to at the end of the show. So make sure you tune in for both of those great interviews as well as Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. But of course, before you do that, i got to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for avid sports bettors providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting, so head on over to betterthan.vegas and browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. You get baseball, you get basketball, you get football, you of course get MMA, and you can get it from the Top Turtle Podcast crew if you head on over there and subscribe to our page. But no matter what you do, head on over right now to betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. And joining me today is Christian Aguilera, who fights Carlston Harris at UFC in the Apex on May 8th. So, Christian, I want to start here. You were actually supposed to fight in January on the UFC on ABC1. You got pulled for an injury. Can can you tell us a little bit about that injury? Or, if you don't want to get too specific, can you at least tell us how long it kept you out of commission? Uh, I was out of training for maybe like uh, four or five weeks. And then, um, yeah, able to pop back in right after that. Um, all it took was, like, rest. So it was nothing too crazy. It just I needed to take time off, let my body heal itself. Um, was going to the chiropractor, getting treatment, and then everything's good now. Back to 100%. Well, that's absolutely great to hear. Now, I'm curious, too, because obviously not only was that a big fight card, but you, you had a pretty big-name opponent coming up, too. You had Warley Alves, 12-fight UFC veteran, tough winner, were you a little upset that you, like, lost out at the opportunity to fight a guy with, with kind of a bigger name to build yourself on? Uh, not really. Like, uh, I don't really give a fuck who it is, but um, <laughs> I, I was more upset that the opportunity that, like, uh, I wanted to go to Fight Island. Like, I've never been over there to that part of the world, and, it, like, uh, a lot of my teammates have gone over there, and it looks fantastic. It looks dope, so I wanted to go check that out. So I was disappointed that I didn't get to do that, but... um. I win a couple more fights, we get to travel a little bit, so we'll work our way back, no big deal. And, and that's that's something you still hold out hope for, that they're going back to Fight Island and you're still going to get a chance to, to punch somebody over there? No, I do. I'll travel anywhere. I don't care. I, just, I, just, I, I like traveling to fight. I like it. So anywhere they could take me, anywhere they could put me, like, fucking let's go. 
That, that's interesting because I've heard a lot of fighters uh, want to fight at home, right? Like like Joe Lozon loves fighting in Boston, and Uriah Faber always loved fighting in Sacramento. I, is there a reason you like traveling for for your fights? I just go see different places. Like uh, I'll stay a couple of days after the fight. I'll be there like all five weeks, so I'm sure at some point I'll get to explore the place where I'm at. But um, I don't know. I've had just what like uh, 20 fights or 19 fights at home, so. Like, uh, my people have seen me fight. Like, I'm sure they want to see me in the UFC. I want, they want to see me, like, fight there. And I'm, I would love to fight, like, uh, L.A., Orange County arenas. But I would also like to travel. That'd be cool. Go fight in Brazil. Go fight in Japan. Go fight in wherever. But those, like, uh, overseas trips look fun. They look awesome. Like, it's good stories for later. I have a kid now, so it's going to be dopey. Like, I fought all over the world be able to tell them, you know? Absolutely. Now, I did want to ask you, too, because you, you – have been nine months on the shelf now it's not a terribly long layoff for your career but you are a guy who stayed really active you know if you count your amateur career we're talking about damn near 40 fights in, in not a long amount of time so has this nine months been tough for you wishing you could get back in the cage uh i definitely want to fight like i'm excited to fight so i think it's built that excitement um but I think it's also good for me. I think to some degree, like, I did have a lot of fights back-to-back. I had, well, like, four fights last year, like, uh, three or four fights a year before, or five the year before, and just kept, like, racking them off back-to-back. So I think um, this time off definitely helped build, like, that desire to be like, fuck, dude, I want to get in there. I want to hit somebody. Um, I started getting road rage again, so I know it's like uh, <laughs> that's the bad part of it. But everything else is dope, man. Like, I'm excited, so that's cool. Like, I like that excitement feeling, like, ooh, you get to go hit somebody in a couple days. It's going to be a good time. Absolutely. Now, I'm curious, too, because you have had more time. Uh, do you feel like like your game has changed substantially from there? Every fighter feels like they're getting better here and there. But has there been a part of your game that you feel like has been particularly well honed in this nine months? Uh, we've definitely focused on the grappling a little bit more. Uh, obviously, because uh, Carlson has, uh, he's like more of a grappling-based fighter, so we've definitely doubled down on that, um, put more attention in that area for this camp, for sure. And now that certainly makes sense, and I'm gr- glad you brought up your opponent, because I was going to ask about him. He is a little bit more of a grappler, and, and seemingly you've done your homework on him, but how, how much have you heard about him before you got that name offered to you? Um, I didn't really hear about I don't keep up with much like uh, Brave fights. Like, I've seen some of them, but I don't really, uh, like, pay attention to the names. I just watch the fights. So I watch, like, good fights over there. So I've, I've seen him fight before. I've seen him. I just didn't know, like, like it was him, you know? Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, like, after we got it, it's, it's cool that he fought over there because I got to see all his fights on video, so that's dope. Like, it helped me out. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I also want to talk to you a little bit about your, your training leading into this fight because – you know, looking at your Instagram, I see all different gyms on there all the time, right? I see, you know, Oyama, and I see One Jiu-Jitsu, and I see Raw Talent Boxing, and, and I'm probably even missing some. But it seems like it's more and more of a trend of fighter these days to be hitting up tons of places all the time. I, I'm curious, why, why does that work so well for you in your game? So at Oyama's, we put everything together, but I do believe in uh, working, like, each art for the art, like, for the sake of itself. You know, like, uh, I like to work jujitsu in a jujitsu gym. I like to work Muay Thai in a Muay Thai gym. So I work uh, my Muay Thai over at Classic Fight Team. I work my boxing over at Raw Talent. And then Oyama kind of helps me put everything together. So he'll pick, like, uh, he'll, like, watch me spar and be like, all right, this is working, this isn't working, this is what we need to fix. This, and uh, all my coaches are good at talking to each other, so they have a really good relationship in that 
it's a good communication between them, so they all have work really well together as far as like building up the overall game. Well, I, I like that a lot too. And, and was it was it something that that you had had sought out to do on your own to to train at all these different places and then encourage the coaches to talk, or is this one where they already kind of had a working relationship and it just you know flowered into something beautiful for you? Uh, I don't, I don't know if, uh, they didn't talk too much before, but, um, they're definitely talking for, like, uh, since I started working with everyone, they definitely developed a lot more communication. So I'm sure, like, uh, they've all known each, uh, of each other in the fight world, they've all been around each other, but, um, I, like, I give them a reason to, like, talk more to each other, you know? But, uh, yeah, it's working out great, man. Like, everyone's very open-minded, everyone's very, uh, none of my coaches are just, like, set in their ways. Everyone's very flexible in that, like, oh, this might work, this might work, and uh, very open to new ideas. So that's definitely helped uh, advance my game along a lot quicker, you know? Absolutely. Well, that's certainly good to hear. Now, I want to talk about the game coming together and a little bit more about the Harris fight. So you already mentioned, you know, you feel like he's a little bit more of a grappler. You've been working more on the grappling side of the game. I also know you're a guy who likes to punch people in the face and likes to keep the game there. Without giving up too much of the game plan, is that the the Christian Aguilera we're going to see in there, the one who wants to punch people in the face? Shit, I don't really care as long as we win. Um, wherever the fight goes, like, I feel confident. I feel confident in my grappling. I feel confident in my stand-up. Um, yeah, I don't really give a fuck. Whatever he throws at me, like, I'm sure we're going to be ready for. Um, ideally, we walk in the cage, throw one punch, he gets knocked out, and that's it. But <laughs> I'm sure he's suffering that, so it, it'll probably be a longer fight. So... Yeah, every fight's different, you know, it is like uh, you go in with the plan and everything changes, so we'll just kind of play it by ear. Well, we'll certainly look, be looking forward to seeing that fight. And once again, fans, this has been Christian Aguilera, who fights Carlson Harris at UFC in the Apex on May 8th. Christian, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yay, yay. thank you very much, man. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Christian Aguilera. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. Joining me now is my co-host, Shockwave Dave Germonte. Dave, I, I want to start by talking about the, the superstar of this weekend, and that's Yuri Prohoshka. He looked damn good doing what he did, and I, I want to ask you to start. Do you think Yuri has that star power to become one of those truly transcendent stars of MMA? Wow, that's a loaded question, but the answer is, Gumby, yes. Yes, I do. I think between the haircut, some of his funny lines, he's got almost like a Eastern European style bender or Connor type flair with that same kind of cold as ice, dead eyes of a Habib. It makes for a very interesting combo, but I will say part of me, you know, when they rush fighters along, Connor got a title shot within five fights, I believe. I think Izzy was on his sixth. Uh, sometimes, you know, it works out and sometimes it doesn't. I certainly hope they're not rushing him, but he seems to have all the skills and capability. Uh, what do you think? So I would say, first of all, the rush factor, you're right. This would be his third fight. And it looks like Dana White has promised him a title shot against the winner of Jan and Teixeira in his third UFC fight. But it's also worth noting, he's been beating UFC level guys forever right like he has a a win over king mo he's got a win over cb dalloway he's got a win over brandon halsey he's got like he's got a win over fabio maldonado like most of those guys either fought in the ufc or bellator or some high level organization 
And he's been fighting those guys forever and beating those guys. So he's got to win over the Bellator light heavyweight champ in, in Veldim Nemkov, so, who, like, nobody's beaten. So uh, I think he is, while it's quick in his UFC career, I don't actually think he's being rushed along. And, and I agree with you about the personality. definitely feels like he's on his way. And also, you know, just from a fighting style standpoint, who who wouldn't love to see a guy who just throws caution to the wind literally all the time and goes in there and do, does what he did with that spinning back elbow. Yeah, he's definitely an exciting fighter. I like what you just brought up about him beating UFC caliber talent. He definitely has, like, the star power factor. And I got to say, you know, at that division, um, it, with the Jones turnover, even a couple of years back, you know, Rumble's not there anymore. DC moved up to heavyweight and retired. It's not all that shocking. This is a division that's been desperate for stars. Jan is like the kind of pseudo star they found that they didn't really want. I think there was a time where they really thought Dom Reyes could be that guy. I think there was a time they even thought a late sort of career run for Anthony Smith was possible. Um, And none of it ever materialized because Jones kept beating them. Well, now Jones seemingly out of the division. This is what happens when you have someone like a John Jones or let's say when Mighty Mouse left uh, flyweight, you get this kind of massive turnover where maybe someone just kind of rises through the ranks quickly. So now I'm talking myself out of the fact that he's only had three fights in the UFC. Maybe it's a good thing. Yeah, I would say maybe not a great thing because I would have liked to see him beat some of those other guys on the way up too because we just feel even more confident on him. I'm also really glad you brought up John Jones because I'm so curious I, I'm not going to sit here and say that Yuri would beat John Jones, right? Because, like, nobody we're, – we're picking John Jones against everybody on the planet. And, and, you know, we're not stupid in that way. Like, But stylistically, isn't he more interesting against John Jones than almost literally anybody we've seen? Right? Like, that forward pressure is incredible. Like, he would force John Jones to empty the tank. He would force John Jones to get after it. So, yeah. How about – how about – I'm so sorry to interrupt you. How about elbow-on-elbow elbow crime? They're both yeah, kind of like it, funky strikers. And it, and it would force Jones to go back to that, though, right? Because Jones kind of got away from that for a little while, right? Like, Jones was doing a little bit of the patty cake and pick him apart from a distance and oblique kicks. And that's all well and good, but Yuri would be in his face. And I don't know, again, I'm not picking anybody against John Jones except for maybe Francis, and, and that's with a gun to my head, and just because he's got the crazy power. But I think, like, it, it would just bring out the very best John Jones that we've been waiting to see again, and, and I would have liked to seen it. Yeah, agreed. Well, I'll tell you what I like to see, and that's our Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UC Vegas 26 coming up this week. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get into it. But, Gumby, before we do our favorite segment on the show – one may wonder if any fine company sponsors this edition of Fight Stocks and Parlays. Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other of the 30-plus martial arts they have on the app, use that app to log your training sessions, tag the different techniques and training partners you're using, and so many more awesome features to stay on top of your training. Once again, that's Maroon Social, wherever it is you download apps. All right, let's start with Marina Rodriguez against Michelle Watterson. These two are actually only a year apart in age, but that seems surprising because Marina Rodriguez came to us through Dana White's Dancing with the Stars, I mean Dana White's Contender Series, and uh, Michelle Watterson has been around the game for a long time, going back to Invicta. 
but only one year apart, obviously Michelle Waterson, the more experienced of the two. Waterson coming off a split decision win over Angela Hill. Lost to Carla Esparza and Yoanny and Jacek before that. No real shame in that. I don't think we're ever going to see the Michelle Waterson era, so to speak, as a title winner. Um, but, you know, she could be kind of that gatekeeper status, and that's exactly what we have here with Marina Rodriguez. Rodriguez also lost to the aforementioned Carla Esparza. That was back in July of 2020 then came back this past January and beat Amanda Rebus. She had a draw with Cynthia Cavijo, a draw with Randa Marcos, uh, beat Tisha Torres and Jessica Aguilar. So for someone who's only had six fights in the UFC, uh, one loss, a split decision to Carla Esparza, two of them a draw. So 33% of her fights in the UFC have been a draw. That's sort of funny. Uh, I should mention that Rodriguez is the minus 175 favorite. Michelle Waterson, the plus 145 dog. Who you got? So I'm definitely going with Marina Rodriguez in this one, and for two reasons, really. So this fight materialized as a main event last second. For those of you who don't know, this was originally supposed to be Corey Sanhagen versus TJ Dillashaw, which, no offense to these two ladies, would have been a far better main event. Um, And just... For me, the thing is, is this fight came together so fast that they decided to do it at flyweight, right? They decided to have this fight at 125 pounds instead of 115, just so the two don't have to cut weight. And while, you know, I would probably pick Marina Rodriguez down at strawweight, at flyweight, I'm picking her even more. Because remember, Watterson's a fighter who used to fight at 105, right? Like a division the UFC doesn't even have. She fought at that in Invicta. When she came over, she had to commit to going up 10 pounds. Rodriguez is so much bigger than her, right? Like Rodriguez, she's she's five foot six, and, and she she you know it, it it is hard for her to make that weight. Whereas Michelle Waterson, only five three, used to make a weight class lower. So you're gonna see that size advantage, and in addition to that too, the violence that Marina Rodriguez brought against Amanda Hebas just gives me the utmost confidence that she'll be able to go in there and just starch uh, Michelle Waterson. I actually don't think this fight is even as close as the odds are. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I'm not going to add anything. It's very, it's a very underwhelming fight to me. And obviously, uh, Sandhagen and TJ Snakeshaw would have been a lot more fun. But I'll tell you what is kind of fun. It's seeing our old friend Cowboy Cerrone, who lost a fight when Diego Sanchez's manager went postal, got Diego fired from the UFC. Cerrone now has a fight again, though, and he's a minus 170 favorite to Alex Moreno, a plus 150 dog. So Moreno stepping up here. Uh, coming off a loss to Anthony Pettis, who's no longer in the UFC, uh, beat Riz McKee before that, lost to Chaos Williams before that. So he's one and two in his last three. Worth noting, he did have a three-fight win streak in the years of 2018 and 2019, beating the likes of Song Keenan, Zach Ato, Max Griffin, then ran into a Chaos Williams punch that knocked him out. So now trying to get things back on track, one and two in his last three. Cerrone knows a few things about losing streaks and winning streaks. Uh, as he gets into his later years here, especially after that really bad Connor performance, it's been kind of sad. Now, he did lose to the tops of the division. June of 2019, lost to Tony Ferguson. September of 2019, lost to Justin Gaethje. Then the McGregor performance in January of 2020. Then losing to Anthony Pettis. Um so four losses in a row, and then comes back, faces Nico Price last September, and it was a no contest due to an eye poke by Nico Price. Originally a majority draw overturned after Price tested for marijuana, so just a crazy set of circumstances there. Cerrone needs a win in the worst way. 
or I don't even know if he does need a win. It's not like he's going to challenge for a title. I guess just to stay relevant and not have Dana White have that talk with him, although the talk might come even after a win. So I don't really even know what to say about Cerrone's career at this point. I just know that he's now a favorite against Alex Marino. Who you got? I think I want to go with Morono because it's weird because I I had the same talk about possibly picking – Murano, when when he was fighting Anthony Pettis, right? Like, I, I went and I picked An- Alex Murano to beat Anthony Pettis, and Pettis went out there and outstruck him and stayed away and didn't get wrestled up like I thought he was going to. And, and I'm impressed by that for Pettis. But, you know, I, I actually think that that was a pretty impressive performance to stay away from the wrestling of a guy who has got pretty good wrestling, and he's looked even better since he started working with Fortis MMA. But the thing about Cerrone is, is while Cerrone might be able to defend himself with submissions and do all of that kind of stuff. He doesn't keep distance as well as Pettis, right? Like his kicks aren't quite as good as Pettis and his, you know, technical boxing isn't. He ties up, he gets in the clinch. And I just think enough of those times is going to lead to possible takedown attempts here for a much bigger Alex Morano. Again, I, I don't mean to make weight class everything here. Morano's a big-ish 170 guy, and we're talking about, you know, a cowboy who's not been entirely successful moving up a weight class to 170 pounds, right? Like, that wasn't a good move for him in the long run, and I don't think it's a great move here, so I'm actually going to take the underdog. I'm going to take Alex Morano. Wow, this is this is really big. I can't believe it. Uh, but I also can believe it because it's later years Donald Cerrone and anything is possible. So not going to fight you on it. Josh Neal is a, a minus 190 favorite to Neil Magny, a plus 165. Uh, Neal is coming off a loss to Stephen Thompson, wasn't able to solve the puzzle of Stephen Thompson, as many people are not. But before that, TKO win over Mike Perry, TKO win over Nico Price, a decision win over Belial Muhammad, who went on a little bit of a streak, a KO over Frank Camacho, a rear naked choke over Brian Camozzi. After coming off of Dana White Contender Series, this man went on a five-fight win streak and actually beat some really impressive names before running into Stephen uh, Wonderboy Thompson. And again, there's really no shame in losing to Stephen Thompson. Many people do. He's a tough puzzle to uh, piece together. Uh, and while he wasn't able to do it, he's going to try to get a win back here against Neil Magny. Magny feels like he's had 50,000 UFC fights, but <laughs> the actual uh, year he entered the UFC was 2013. It feels like he's been fighting for over a decade. He had a ton of fights one year. I think he fought six times in 2014. That all being said, he's coming off a loss to Michael Chiesa. The unanimous decision. Before that, he had a three-fight win streak. Wins over Lee Jing Lang, Anthony Rocco Martin, and Robbie Lawler. Lost to Santiago Ponzinibbio before that via KO. So he is 3-2 and two in his last five, dating back to uh, late 2018. Who are you taking here? I'm going to go with Jeff Neal. Um, and part of the reason I'm going to go with Jeff Neal is uh, I really think his takedown defense is top-notch. Uh, you know, he hasn't fought a ton of guys who can really take him down. But, like, you know, look at what he did against Bilal Muhammad. Bilal Muhammad went 0 for 7 in... You know, I know that Neil Magny's a little bit better of a wrestler than Bilal Muhammad, but you got to feel really good about that. And in addition to that, too, while he wasn't able to outstrike Wonderboy, like, Jeff Neal is an incredible striker. Um, you know, like he, he just can't manage the distance of a guy who nobody can manage the distance of, right? So wh- while some people might be writing him off on this one, I-, I actually think a fight with Neil Magny is a great one for him because it's going to, you know, allow him to try to get inside somebody with a ridiculously long reach without being as dangerous as Wonderboy and without being as good as distance management as Wonderboy. So 
I think this is a great rebound fight. I think he goes in there, uh, stuffs a couple of takedowns, and winds up piecing him up on the feet. All right. I like it. Not going to argue with you. Let's get to our underdog of the week, and it's Maurice Green, a plus 165. You like him over Marcos Rogerio de Lima? Why? So I love Maurice Green in this fight, and it's it's a weird fight because it's heavyweight, but anytime you can get this big a plus money on a heavyweight, you know, and, and DeLima has not been particularly good in the UFC. He's 5-5 five and five in his last 10, and he's alternated wins and losses the entire time. He's gone win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, all the way through, and if you look at a ton of those losses, they're submission losses. Now, on the other hand, you look at Maurice Green, almost all of his wins are submissions. He's a really good submission artist. And I think if this stays on the feet, Green is really awkwardly long, too. And I think there's a potential for that to frustrate DeLima. So I think he's just got enough things that could possibly bother his opponent. And, hey, DeLima shoots a takedown because he's getting frustrated with the the striking. I think that the guillotine's there. DeLima gets frustrated with something else. Boom. He's got a re- he's in a rear naked choke. So I just think Maurice Green has got too many tools. And... I think probably this fight is going to get sloppy, being that there are a couple of guys with maybe not the best gas tanks at heavyweight. Um, And if it gets sloppy, I like the guy who's gotten sloppy submissions in the past. Okay, I like it. Uh, Let's then get to our parlay to play. Amanda Rebus, a minus 175. And Mariana Rodriguez, also a minus 175. Pair them together, get you plus 150. Break her down. So we already broke down Marina Rodriguez. I, I think she's a slam dunk against uh, Michelle Watterson. I think she's a, a great add to pretty much any parlay because there, there's really no reason that, that Michelle Watterson should win a fight up two weight classes against a much stronger fighter and a much stronger striker. So I, I would put that one in there just about on any parlay I'm playing this week. I'm also going to add Amanda Hibas here because she's fighting Angela Hill. I like Angela Hill, but I think even the reason the odds are this close is because Hibas went in there and had a really tough time with Marina Rodriguez, which, you know, no shame in that. We're talking about the headliner probably beating up Michelle Waterson next. So, first of all, if you've looked back at Amanda Hibas' fight, she's got to win over Mackenzie Dern. She's able to stop grappling. She's very physically strong. And really, that's where Angela Hill excels, right? Like, she's she's got a lot of physical strength. She likes to put people up against the cage. She's not a particularly flashy boxer. And really, the only people who've given trouble to Amanda Hibas are flashy boxers. So, um, given that, knowing that Hibas is strong, knowing that Hibas has got the jiu-jitsu if it does hit the ground, I like Hibas here with Rodriguez for plus 150. All right. Well, that does it for this edition of Fights Dogs Parlays. We sure hope you enjoyed it. Please follow along on Twitter. We're always live tweeting during the fights. And please don't forget to leave a review for us on iTunes. It really does go a long way to help keep the lights on in the Top Turtle Podcast Studios. Gumby, with that being said, this train is a moving. Choo-choo. Where should we go next? And we're going to transition now to my interview with Christos Iagos as he talks about his upcoming matchup at UFC 262. So you're going to want to tune into that right now. All right, and joining me today is Christos Iagos who fights Yoel Alvarez at UFC 262 on May 15th. So Christos, I actually want to start by talking about your last fight because you're coming off of a fight where you were a last second replacement, except you looked phenomenal in it. You looked like you'd done a 10-week fight camp. Uh, what do you think led to you being both so successful and, and looking so damn good in that fight? Well, um, I was off for about a year and a half from um, 
uh, my last fight. You know, I was recovering also from uh, neck surgery. I had a cervical disc replacement. So um, I was finally recovered. And in about September-ish, uh, I told my manager, like, hey, like, I'm down to fight in like October or November. And we couldn't get any fights booked, but I was training. And then he called me saying, like, hey, like, we're better, we're better off just staying ready and taking a short notice fight. And I said, okay, I'm down for that, but, like, at least give me two weeks, you know? At least. <laughs> so I'm doing my thing. I'm training. I'm, I'm running, like, you know, 10 miles. I started getting to, like, long-distance running, and I started getting my times down and running 10 miles, half marathon. I started doing more jujitsu. I wasn't really doing much striking at the time because I was in the midst of looking for a striking coach. And uh, But then Jason calls me, a manager calls me, and he's like, yo, and, and and it's December now, and I was I've been training hard. I'm like whatever. I'm not gonna fight this year. All hopes done. It's like a week before Christmas, and he calls me on Wednesday, saying, "Hey, I got a. I I I know you said you wanted two weeks, but I wouldn't call you if I didn't think this is a good matchup." He 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 texted me the guy, showed me who he was, and he said, "This Saturday." I was like, "This Saturday." <laughs> oh man, I was like, "What?" Like I was like a little. I got butterflies in my stomach instantly. But um, I was like, I looked up the guy. I wasn't sure because I was just wasn't sure because I didn't do any kind of training for a camp. You know, I, I'm not doing any grappling to striking. So obviously that messes with your head a little bit. But I knew I can beat this guy, and I knew if I pass this up, I'm gonna I was gonna hate myself for doing it. So I said, let's go. You know, I hit my manager. I was like, let's do it. I know. I said, you missed a hundred percent chance we don't take. I know I'm better than this guy, and um, yeah, and then the fight came, and it all worked out. Well, and that's wild to hear. Now, now I want to go back to what you said in there, too, because first of all, that's a wild story, but second of all, you said you you were looking for a striking coach. You, you didn't have a striking coach at the time. I assume by now that's all resolved itself, and, and you've sort of landed somewhere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I actually started working with Jason Park, and I found one, but like, we were just kind of starting, and he was doing some of my physical therapy as well. So we were just dabbling with stuff, with, like, hitting mitts and, and working on some stuff. So um, – and then and then I got the fight, and he came out with me still and everything. But, um, yeah, and then, uh, I found him. But um, for this fight, actually, I'm working with uh, my brother-in-law, who he used to fight, and uh, he's been helping me a lot for this camp. Um, so – um, I, and I finally just joined another gym, so I kind of switched some stuff up again, but I finally feel like I'm uh, in a good place. Well, well that's good to hear. Now, I, I want to ask you specifically about one of the things that did work so well in that fight, because your wrestling looked great in that fight. It actually looked great in the, the fight before it as well. But but here you are fighting Yoel Alvarez, who's a guy who, who a lot of people see as a, a pretty damn submissions-oriented guy, right? Like, he's got a ton of submissions on his record. Is that a part of the game where you feel like you can still take this fight? You you still feel comfortable grappling with him on the ground? Absolutely, you know, um, absolutely. Um, uh, I probably won't, you know, I'm probably going to definitely strike with him. And he has good striking too, but um, I don't really see him going for takedowns in his fights um, at all. I think he, he he's just good off his back. And he has good guillotines. And we've definitely been working in camps. Um, if, you know, I, I love going to the ground, so... If I take him down, obviously I'll be I'll be uh, that mindful of of my neck and 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 him switching his hips for arm bars and triangles and stuff. So I'll definitely be mindful of it. But um, 
Yeah, it's not too much of a concern. I, I, I've fought black belts. I've taken down black belts. I've been on the ground with them. And uh, um, usually when I get submitted, it, it's me kind of panicking and and not trusting my jujitsu. I kind of like force myself to try to explode out because I know I'm not supposed to be there, which we worked a lot of since then. And um yeah, since then I just like uh, I'm just trusting my jujitsu more. I actually have really good jujitsu. I definitely think I'm in a you know brown black belt level, so um, I'm not really too worried about him, you know, catching me with anything. Uh, as long as I'm just you know stay safe and uh, but I definitely want to keep it on the feet as much as I can as well. Absolutely, and you mentioned being on the ground with some some black belts. You have been on the ground with. I feel like it's worth mentioning the guy who's headlining this event, right? Like you've been on the ground with Charles Oliveira. You've been in the cage with Charles Oliveira. What, what is that like too, fighting on a card where you're about to watch, you know, one of your former opponents, a guy who you've gone in there and tangled with, you know, for, for a round and a half, almost half a fight fighting for a belt. Yeah. yeah I think that's awesome. And I think, I hope he does good. Um, I definitely want to, I wish him the best, but I mean, guy like that. Like, if you look at the, if you look at that fight, I won the first round. He took me down. I got him up. I got him off. I, um, the thing that happened in the second round is when he went down on my back. That's when I kind of panicked and uh, I forgot what I was supposed to do there. So it, sometimes I beat myself. Not taking anything away from him, he's an excellent submission artist. And one mistake, he'll definitely capitalize on no matter what. So obviously, he capitalized. And um, and uses jujitsu, and, and he I think he's he's he just evolved as a fighter as well, and it's awesome to be on the card with him headlining, and hopefully uh, I get that rematch someday because I definitely thought I matched up well with him. If you go back and watch that fight, for sure. And, and now too, I'm curious because you you mentioned it a couple of times in here that you felt like in, in jujitsu in the past you you've panicked a little bit and you you've worried about you know not wanting to be there. You've muscled out. You've stopped the technique. And you're learning to trust your jiu-jitsu more. What exactly has is, is helped you learn to trust your jiu-jitsu more? Is it just more drilling? Is it just, I mean, if you worked with the, on the mental side of things, what has allowed you to sort of go to that place and be confident like you were last time out? Um, my coach, one of them, my, my, my main jiu-jitsu coach told me that I should start trusting my jiu-jitsu. That he's like, do you have the jiu-jitsu? You know, just because you're not supposed to be there doesn't mean you can't be there, you know? So... Um, lately I've just been accepting positions a little more and just more working on my jujitsu when I'm doing rounds and not just like, uh, and I'm putting myself more in bad positions, just getting used to being there. Cause, um, I think I don't get there a lot in training. So when I get there in a fight, it's, it's a lot different. So just, just, just definitely drilling on it more, putting myself in bad positions so that I can work out of them. So if I do get there, I can work out of them the right way. That that certainly makes a lot of sense to me. Now, b- before I let any fighter go, I usually try to try to eke a prediction out of them. Can I get a prediction out of you? How do you see this fight going down with you all, Alvarez, come May fifteenth? Uh, you know, I'm looking to, to stop him by the third and third round. Uh, try to wear him down a little bit and uh, start finding my shots and uh, and pick my shots in the third round to finish him in the CTL. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Gristo Siagos, who fights Joel Alvarez at UFC 262 on May 15th. Christos, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate no it. No worries, no worries. Appreciate you. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We certainly couldn't do what we do without you guys. 
We also couldn't do we do do what we do without our sponsors, Maroon Social and Better Than Vegas. So thank those guys for helping keep the lights on at Top Turtle MMA Studio. We also want to thank Cage Side Press for giving us a home. And we want to remind you guys to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. That is at Top Turtle MMA. Till next week, I'm Daniel Gumby Vreeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we'll catch you then.